Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Yes, guys, welcome back. Now, look, you're not the only one I'm welcoming back. We have also got our regular guest on the show, Bryn Jenkins. Now, I like to mix things up at Adam Nation if you haven't already found. I don't stay in my lane. We don't talk about just one topic, whether it be exercise or nutrition or mindset or rest or other holistic matters. I try and cover the gamut. Anything to do with being your best. Now, today we wanted to hit on some mindset-oriented discussion again. Now, the way we decided to play this episode out is that Bryn and I came to the table with some concepts, mindset concepts that we wanted to discuss and explore. It wasn't prepped, but we had some ideas of the directions each of us wanted to take this discussion. And I found it really useful for me personally. I learned a lot about my own thoughts as well as hearing completely new ideas mentioned by Bruin. So what do we talk about? Well, we've got our top 10 current mindset concepts and ideas and ways of thinking that are driving our own lives right now. So I've got things such as being radically open-minded and transparent, i.e. not being dogmatic. Bryn had taken extreme ownership. I was talking about your struggle is your privilege. We spoke about things such as imagine not fearing rejection or not looking at failure as failure, but looking at failure as lessons. And then we spoke about things such as building self-confidence through small, easy wins, as well as what is the equation of happiness and taking extreme ownership. I love this conversation. I love these type of chats where we really get to kind of get cerebral and think about things, but be emotional and really think about what moves us as individuals. And I hope through that, there's a couple of things here that are moving you or just reinforcing what you already know or what you already think about what life is and how to be happy, be successful and pursue being your best. Now, if you've got anything you want to add to our top 10, I would love to hear it. You can get hold of me on the Adaptation Instagram page or the Adaptation Facebook page. So without further ado, let's just get straight into it. Mindset, baby. Enjoy. Adaptation. I wanted us to talk a little bit about mindset mm-hmm. today. And I know we kind of dip in and out of this subject of, of being your best. And the reason for this, Bryn, is that I'm not that it's completely obvious to many, but I've been working behind the scenes diligently and putting together a program called the Be Your Best Journey. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's everything that I have learned, experienced, or trying to experience in my life in helping me thrive and helping me be my best version of myself, be my best. Um, and it's a hundred days of email engagement and video engagement with me um, through this program where we're hitting on nutrition, exercise, rest and recovery, and more holistic concepts, as well as mindset. So through that writing, 
And I've really had to challenge what I know, mm -hmm. what makes me me, as well as reading loads of books and coming up with other concepts that are going to stretch and develop my thinking. So I kind of wanted to use today to kind of explore some of those concepts. Plus, I know you've got a couple of things that are your focus or yeah. resonate with you in terms of the journey you're going through right now in mm -hmm. strengthening your character, your mindset. Mm -hmm. And I know there's so many different ways we can take this. Um, but I quite like it when you and I kind of bounce off each other mm -hmm. and just kind of hit each other with like, what you got, what have I got, and just kind of see where it goes. Yeah. So let me give you one and let me see if it kind of like, it, it triggers thinking. Yeah. So one thing that has been triggering me recently, um, and this is going to start on a slightly pessimistic tone, but it's not not intended, is that my guidance to people is to be radically open-minded and transparent. Mm. So what I mean by that, I mean, too often we're open-minded until we learn something and then we become closed-minded about what we've learned. So you would have seen that in the gym or you would see that in trainers, right? Yeah. A trainer's naive. They go, okay, let me go into a PT course. They go through that PT course. They learn what they need to learn from a, you know, quote unquote expert or a, you know, an industry body that's, you know, certified and, you know, regarded. And once they've acquired that knowledge, it's quite easy to say, now I know it all. Mm -hmm. Same in nutrition. I've learned about cholesterol once, therefore I know everything about cholesterol. I've learned about fat and carbs once, and therefore I know everything about it. I've learned about the carnivore diet. It makes it perfect. I don't need to learn about anything else. I've learned about veganism. I don't need to hear any other discussion. This is my world. And I know that is an unhealthy place to be. Mm -hmm. To the point, it, in the most extreme extreme cases, you get this um, echo chamber where you live in this world where your friends continue to support what you know. Mm -hmm. Your social media only feeds you things that you've liked before, so you get more of the same. Um, and unless you're proactively seeking out alternative opinions, you won't hear them. And therefore, you'll become more and more tight in what you think your knowledge is. Yeah. But in a more subtle way, and this is what's triggering me at the minute, you get people that say that they they hate zealots. I hate the diet zealot. I hate when people talk about keto or they talk about, you know, low carb or veganism. Like I, there's a few people that come to mind already, known people that would call themselves call themselves like balanced, not non-dogmatic mm -hmm. yeah. and hate zealots. Yet they're the same people that I think are just as dogmatic that, as yeah. everyone else because they're, they're dogmatically contrarian. Mm -hmm. They're dogmatically convinced that if the science doesn't prove it in volume, that everything else is bullshit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go on traditional wisdom, what people have been saying and what's in the literature. And if it's not exactly there in a way where the institution hasn't fully embraced it and rubber sealed it, then it doesn't exist to me. Yeah. Your argument is non-valid. Go away. Mm. And I hear that. I see that all the time and i just think it's so restrictive to learning and development is it what do you think what do you I mean, mean what, what's it is it uh is this the right term confirmation bias so when it confirms your biases so if you believe in something you then will naturally without knowingly seek out stuff that will confirm that so you're yep. then going to read stuff that's going to reinforce that so you're going to 
you're going to surround yourself with people that reinforce your opinions on certain subjects. So if you're, if you're a vegan, you're probably going to surround yourself with other people that are vegans. You're not going to surround yourself with other people who, and you will obviously if you have family members and so on, but you will just naturally gravitate to work towards what will confirm what you believe. So I think that's a big thing. Also, another thing as well, I think with that is, um, personally, I feel like I can get into that because of, uh, not wanting to be uncomfortable in terms of like a, a, a mental discomfort. Cause obviously phys- if we want to grow physically, we have to train and get physically uncomfortable. Whereas to change up here mentally, you have to get mentally uncomfortable, right? You have to relearn stuff. You have to, and it's, it's almost a lazy way to, or me being lazy will just be following what I know and going, I'm not going to delve into that. I'm not going to dig deep into that because I then have to relearn it. And it's challenging Mm. what I believe is challenging. I don't think it's just laziness, man. I think it's ego. I think ego, Mm -hmm. yeah, that ego prevents you from, being ego stops no yeah ego prevents you from saying i could be wrong yeah ego doesn't want you to be wrong ego doesn't want you to be in pain ego doesn't want you to suffer ego doesn't want you to have any knock on you as a person so would you say it's your ego that is searching for this confirmation then oh it's not just searching for confirmation that's why you're looking you don't want to be proved wrong like so like i'll I'll call one person now and i'm I'm, and this is unfair because I, i i respect this individual but you look at lane norton for example mm. and he's doesn't he's done a lot of good for this industry but i don't i don't buy into a lot of what he does i mean for one he's very argumentative everything he puts out he just gets ready for the fight because he's created that 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 feeling around his vibe like everyone just wants to like call him out and then he just spends his days arguing yeah but i look at what he does and everything is like that's bullshit like someone says like yeah taking a contraceptive pill is is not good for you because of the you know dysregulating your horm- your natural hormone balance and it can cause skin issues and this and this and this and he's like show me the studies hang on a minute anecdote prove would prove it fairly clearly that most women on long term pill use suffer with a set of things that seem to improve when they mm-hmm. go off it plus there is some studies but hey they're not right in the center of the research papers yeah. keto he can't stand anyone who talks about low carb why because it goes against his personal lifestyle choices mm-hmm. and it goes against his message, which is, don't worry about it, guys. Just do what you want mm. if it fits your macros. And if it fits your macros, it might make you lose weight. Might. But it won't necessarily make you healthier, more well, increase longevity, increase cognitive ability. There's some merit in exploring it, but he doesn't want to explore it. And his argument is always, show me the studies. Show me this. But this is, the, this is where that kind of mentality fucks you mm. because if you're waiting for a study to confirm a subject which is non-popular or doesn't have a mon- monetary value mm-hmm. to the big companies that typically fund and support studies then it ain't going to happen there's no studies on whether a carnivore diet is a great diet mm-hmm. done at scale over a long period of time uh, and controlled tightly there isn't one mm-hmm. there isn't does that mean there's no merit in a carnivore diet until the study comes out? Because the study just confirms or denies an hypothesis. Mm. Until we conf- and until we do the study, can we say categorically that a carnivore diet is bad for health? Mm. We can't. 
we can say epidemiolo epidemiologically, some observations have been made that having meat and cancer are correlated. Maybe, maybe not, because mm. that's not science. That's just observation. Yeah. So if you're waiting for science to prove a concept which isn't going to get funded and is too difficult to prove, or it isn't going to get proved for 10 years because that's the longevity of a study, then the, yeah. stu the information isn't going to hit you. And as a result, you're going to be closed-minded to the idea that we might not have everything right, yeah. that all of traditional and generational wisdom is right. I mean, because we know that low-fat as a concept to health is clearly a misleading concept in nutrition. Mm. You know, being low-fat, right, low-fat diets... There's a lot of merit to eating healthy fats, but it's taken a long time. There was a there was there was no argument that cigarettes weren't good for you. And like, mm. cigarettes were good for you until they weren't. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, until yeah. until they weren't, no one wanted to hear it. Yeah. And I just think that if you if you if you're confident enough and you're willing enough to grow and develop yourself and realize that if you're not growing, you're dying. And understand that other people around you might know things that you don't. Mm -hmm. And be comfortable being wrong. You can learn so much more. You can add so much more value. If someone comes at you with an argument that you don't believe, before you discount it, how about you explore it? Yeah. Because there might be merit in it. There might be something that might be nuanced. It might yeah. not be completely true, but part of their statement might make sense logically, might make, make make sense scientifically. They might have data to back it up. They might have their own anecdote to back it up. There might be tens of thousands of people that have the same anecdote. Mm -hmm. But because it's not written in a journal that you respect, in the last 10 years, it's not true. Hey, science has got a lot still to learn. So in, in, the, in the gap between what we currently have written in journals and what we will have in 20 years time, yeah. you're basically going to disregard everything. And I think, yeah, maybe that's good science. I think it's just limiting your potential. Yeah. And it's and it's having that ability to to search for the opposite, for the argument. So personally, what I'm doing with like um, my finances at the moment, I'm looking at where I'm putting money and investments and stuff. And, and I've heard from a few people, this is a good place. And then I've looked into it and... I'm pretty confident, but then I'm also now going, okay, I'm going to look at the, the, the argument to, to that and see actually what the other people saying. Cause I know that cons. I'm probably, yeah, because I'm probably listening to the people that are all confirming my bias and beliefs now. Um, and if I search out and, and it's just, I'm having to physically make myself go and search for that. And it's, also more, it's more tiring to do that. Yeah, it's more tiring, more time consuming, but also not just yeah, being stuck at going, I need to look at the research and actually anecdotally what's worked as well and being open minded enough to know that it may not be set in stone, but actually there could be some merit behind it, even though it's there's not a study. Um to yeah, just I'm, having I'm, that what, ability is Yeah, what important. I'm I'm not saying is just go with gut feel and and don't don't and and invalidate the use of science because yeah. hey science has taught us so much unequivocally I'm, I'm i'm not trying to make a finer point on this i just i just think that there is too much closed-mindedness mm -hmm. there is too much unwillingness Outru to be proven wrong yeah and yet there are these same people are saying they're not dogmatic these same people are saying hey i'm i'm sitting right down the middle i'm not in one camp or the other but you're in the camp in the middle. You're mm. definitely in a camp in the middle, which is I'm 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 not going to be in left or right. I'm going to be central. Yeah, that's still a camp. Yeah, you just don't realize it. Yeah.
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's actually quite difficult to be that open-minded. Exactly. So, so you don't identify with anything and you're willing to go. Someone calls me out and says, Steve, that podcast is wrong. Let me show you why. And I've got the the brevity and the comfort to say, I, I don't know. Let me look into what you've got. And I look into their one thing and I go, do you know what? As a result, I'm going to listen to a podcast written, said by that same person. Maybe I'm going to read a book. And then, do you know what? I've, I've read this. I've On balance, I get it or I don't. Or I think there's something from this that I wouldn't have had if you didn't call mm. me out. Yeah. I'm trying to improve upon that because what I don't want to be is overly dogmatic. What I don't want to be is someone who's so rigid that if something makes sense to me now, it makes sense forever. Mm. And I know that might be frustrating for people to hear because you always want to hear the truth. You don't want to hear someone flip-flopping. Yeah. Like one minute, oh, this is the best thing. And the next minute, this is the best thing. And then two weeks later, here's the new thing. Mm. Like people don't want that. Because it just sounds like you're jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. But at the same time, I think people respect, I hope people respect a, a an, an evolving of opinion. As long as you can explain why your opinion's evolving and what you've learned and why things are changing, then I think there's more respect. It's like, okay, you're willing to learn, you're willing to develop, you're willing to change your, your worldview when there's compelling evidence to do yeah. so. Well, I've, I've, whenever I'm giving advice on the gym floor, when I'm coaching, I always say what I'm telling you, and I'm not talking about the, the principles that have been around for many, many years. And we know they're probably not going to change. They've worked and they always have. But, um, when it comes to, let's say nutrition, because nutrition is always evolving things that we're learning and like studies coming out and anecdotes and stuff. I, I say to whoever I'm talking to at the time that I may be wrong in 10 years. Like what I'm saying now could potentially be wrong. I'm not saying I'm not confident in what I'm saying right now. Yes, I'm confident in what I'm saying, but there's always that chance that it, it could evolve and new ideas and new, new um, anecdotes and new research could come out later on and it might be wrong. And, and, but that's me, my way being open-minded enough to go, I could be wrong in the future. I'm okay with that. Right now, though, I'm. I feel like I'm right. See what I mean? So I'm kind of having that open-mindedness to know that I may be challenged and changed in the future. Yeah. Now so, I, I think it's a, it's an important one. I know we've laboured it. I think it is important though that the more you can not identify with your current views as like you gospel can't be changed. It defines you. Your your current views shouldn't define you. They're just your mm. current views. And the more willing you are to develop your worldview yeah based on alternative information i think the better the more the more opportunity you'll find yeah yeah what else have you, what ones have you got because i know we've got a few things to cover off today uh one of them was like building building self-confidence and certainty through small wins um so rather than trying to go for the big wins and then feeling like you failed actually take small steps small small wins to make you feel like actually, I can do this, make yourself feel more competent, more certain. And by using these little steps strategically to move you to the bigger goal, um, I, I do it myself, I see it with clients. Um, I'm sure we all know people who, who have done it. And we just need to, we need to build our confidence up and not, not that failure is bad. We know that failure is not bad. Failure is obviously, which we're probably going to touch on later as well. Um, but 
it's that you just want to give yourself some more wins, give yourself the confidence, bring that target closer to you so you can hit the target and then move that target target further away um, bit by bit rather than just trying to aim for the target that's a mile down the road. It's bring it close to you, small wins. Having that mindset and going about that approach um, is... I, I think that's that's relevant to any any form of practice, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about... Like you, I know offline you spoke about um, Tony Robbins' example. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you share that in a second. But before you do, I don't know, um, shooting practice. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to like, you know, play football, like you wouldn't start a brand new, new you know, brand new newbie kid trying to take free kicks from like 60 yards away. Mm-hmm. You just wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, you'd get him start practicing shots five yards away, then maybe 10 yards away. Yeah. Like, they're going to practice their skill close. And as they develop that confidence, they're going to be willing to take on longer range shots. Yeah. Right? It's the same in my garden. I've got a little Frisbee and I've got little things and I kind of do Frisbee kind of shooting practice. Yeah. I've got a basketball net. Like if I'm fucking up every shot, I get really close to the net. I get a few really easy ones in. you can't miss. I get it in, get it in. Okay, all right. I've got my mojo back. I've got my flow. And then I'll step back, take another shot, got that one in, step back again, step back again. And then I'm now taking shots far enough away that I wasn't getting before. They're now getting in at least at least 50% of the time versus completely missing. I think that's what you're saying, right? Which is find a way when you look at setting long-term goals to break it down into achievable milestones that are not slam dunks so easy and certain, but they're more achievable mm-hmm. with a push. Well, actually, I am. I'm, I'm talking about getting them so they are so achievable that it is a slam dunk to begin with okay. on step one, okay. so that you physically can't miss. Um, so that you go, okay, I can do that. So the the example was Tony Robbins. Um, he, he goes to a military base when he was younger, uh, and it was like shooting practice in the military, and they basically called him to come and help them with their pass rate. They needed to get more. I don't know what you call them over there, whether they're cadets or whatever, but they they needed to increase the pass rate. Um, and you obviously hit, had to hit the target a certain amount of times or percentage. Shoot, shooting targets. Shooting yeah. target, yeah, okay. with a gun. Um, and they were shooting, I don't know what the how far away it was, but obviously it was a normal shooting range and they were hit, trying to hit the target. And although it sounds really obvious, but Tony Robbins was like, bring the target closer like bring it so close that you can't miss and then shoot and then move it away go again so that you build that confidence and that certainty certainty. you can do it yeah and it's moving further and further away to the point where nothing's actually changed except your mindset your certainty your belief that you can hit the target and then the pass rate went from something like 40 or 50 percent up to like 70 percent it was i don't know the exact numbers but it, it was just Tony Robbins trying to show how effective that was as a drill mm. um, and nothing physically changed. It was just your mindset. So going up and slam dunking the ball into the net, you know you can't miss a slam dunk if you get right up to it and you throw the ball in and then you're going to move further away and then you build that confidence and certainty to the point where you're at that step where you would have missed before. Now you're getting it in because you're in that flow state. You're in that mindset. And I think that's so important to carry over whether that's a a physical goal in the gym um trying to lift you know a certain number or if you're trying to change your body and you're trying to hit a certain goal do something that's so easy so achievable 
it might be your nutrition. It might be like, okay, rather than just going, right, I'm going to go onto a diet. Actually, how can I make a small, small win? Like, like chuck something in the bin that you, you know that you're something, some foods that are hyper palatable that you know, you can't control yourself around throw it in the bin or just get rid of it. And it's just a small win. It's like, okay, I'm not on a diet. I'm not doing anything crazy, nothing drastic. I can throw that in the bin. I can do, I can manage that. And that just gives you that little self-belief that you can do it. Like I can mm-hmm. take control. Um, yeah, and no, that way I, that I, you yeah. just take small steps and then build them up larger over time. Huge, hugely um, beneficial to kind of achieving the longer term, bigger goals. Yeah, no, What's I, your mindset on that? Do you use this personally? Um, yeah, I think I do. I mean, I've spoken about how I manage my days from, from, from one day to the next. And I always build in a a bunch of small activities Mm -hmm. that I know I can easily do. Yeah. And it's partly because they need to be done, right? So they have to be done. But what I had done previously is I would have lots of things to do every day, Mm -hmm. which was like a roll them from yesterday. So the list was always getting bigger. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily prioritized and big stuff was mixed in with medium stuff, which was mixed in with small stuff, both in terms of time and effort and my certainty of doing a good job. Yeah. And um, I found that it's very, um, it just beats you up when, when you're not in control of success. Yeah. So now I'm in control of success. I know what a good day looks like. And it's not me trying to make it easy. I still do difficult things. I'll have one big project. I'll have a couple of two, three medium-sized activities. And I might have half a dozen small things. Yeah. But I know that balance is going to give me some wins. Because if all I do is the small things, I've, I've done some stuff. But I won't just do that. I'll do, yeah. I'll do the small things and probably the big thing. Because the big things happens th- first. And then if I'm lucky, I'll get the medium stuff done too. And that's a successful day. Mm-hmm. But I built it to be successful. Yeah. And I noticed some parts of it I can definitely nail. And I know with with a good headwind, I can do the whole thing. Yeah. But I've got to stay focused, not distracted, and just get on with it. So I agree, man. I yeah. agree. Maybe, maybe um, talking on um, failure, because you mentioned that. Yeah. One for me is, and this is very personal to me, because I, I, I suffer with, quote, unquote, failure all the time. I don't think I'm unique. Maybe I am. But every day, there's something I I can call a failure. Mm -hmm. Whether it be um, my ability to turn up as a father, whether whether it be the work I expected to get done, not getting done exactly how I would have liked, whether it be the response from stuff that I put out as part of my business, whether it be the progress in my gym, whatever it is, mood, what have you, there's, there's, there's always something every day mm-hmm. which wasn't perfect. And upon reflection of adaptation over the last 18 months, you could say actually there's been some failures. There's been some inefficiency. Things have taken longer than expected. Certain things that I thought were going to be slam dunks have proved to be anything but incredibly, incredibly difficult. And I could look at all of those things and say, you know, there's so much failure here. And I could say that and I could speak with my wife and, you know, we'd say, actually, there's some failures, but the failures have taught me stuff. And and I believe that to be true. But I think taking that one step further, and this is an honest conversation we had only a couple of days ago, and I think it relates, is I don't look at the last 18 months, mm-hmm. both in development of my body, the nutrition and my business and think failure. I think learning, mm. like everything that has happened has been an opportunity for, for learning. 
And the more I can disassociate or remove the word failure and say, you know what? Yeah, I am going to fuck up. I'm going to do things slower, less effective, less compelling, less attractive than I would have liked. But there's always a lesson there. Mm. Okay, you shouldn't have done it that way. You should have done it a new way. There's a new way you haven't even thought of that needs to be done because clearly what you're doing isn't working. Like yeah. there's there there is a lesson for me not achieving what I wanted in that day, that week, that month, that half year, that year. Mm -hmm. Like if that goal wasn't met, there's a lesson there if I'm willing to listen. Yeah. So the 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 point I'm trying to make is I don't believe there's such a thing as failures. I mean, it's just lessons. And the more you can embrace mistakes, embrace things not going according to plan and being willing to hear it, I think the greater chance you've got of fulfilling your goals, fulfilling your objectives. And if I think about any entrepreneur, anyone you would class as successful, anyone who's gone through a journey, who's achieved mm. stuff, and you read their biographies, it's full of failure. It's mm. full of failure. Yeah. Like, you know, like literally five businesses have gone ban bankrupt and then the, then the sick one works and then that, they're off to the races and now look at their life. You know, failed investment decisions, failed relationships, you know, PR stunts that gone went completely wrong. Like just failure after yeah. failure. And you know what? They're just the highlights. Mm. They're the highlight failures. The reality the is they're failing failures, every yeah. fucking day. Yeah. Yet they're leveraging their failures to go, aha, don't do that again. Yeah. Do it different. Change, adapt, evolve, increment, whatever. Just make it different so that we stop doing this yeah stop you know and and it doesn't need to be cataclysmic failure like like business went down like everything's just fucked up mm. but hey maybe we expect to get something done and it took two days instead of one maybe we expected to get 10 grand uh, in revenue this week and we got five like were our expectations too high or was our reality the, the execution wrong or was our marketing yeah. wrong learn from it what can we do what can we adjust I just think there's so much merit yeah. in getting to the point where failure is not this like shunned word. In actual fact, just get rid of the word failure mm. and embrace learning. And learning can only come, I think, when you're when you're tested. Yeah. That's you know what, what I mean? the growth happens. Because that, that's an exam, right? An exam is a test. Mm. And you can learn shit. You can listen to a podcast, you listen to these podcasts, you can read books, you can you can have all the theory you can watch as much youtube as you want you can watch as much telly as you want to quite and quite learn but that learning is never really absorbed and taken as like part of you and your identity when it's been tested and either you fuck up and you show me that you haven't learned it yeah or you show me you have learned it mm -hmm. but it's in the exam where you you uh you it materializes where it strengthens and it embodies you and i look at every day as an exam every day of like have you passed or have you quote unquote failed and a yeah. failure is just a lesson like you didn't do enough revision you didn't try hard enough you didn't put effort in the right places you didn't prioritize well enough or you just don't have enough knowledge you're trying to compete in a space where your knowledge is inadequate like how do you change that yeah and if you're failing quite often that probably means you're trying quite hard because you're putting yourself in a position where you fail. Not as long saying, as you're not failing not, yeah, the same time not, every time. Exactly. Not saying that failing for the sake of failing is good, because if you keep failing, then maybe you're just not 
good enough and you're not learning from that failure. So like you're saying, you need to attach learning to failure so that you're not just failing. You're at, you're failing and going, okay, well, that was a lesson and I'm going to learn from that lesson. Um, so rather than going and doing your driving test 20 times and not passing, maybe you do it once and fail or twice and fail and go, why am I failing? Am I not putting enough time and effort into studying? Um, or what and, are my weaknesses? What, what, what am, am I failing, failing on? Yeah, yeah, and then eventually you will pass it if you you approach it with that manner. But if you're just failing and failing and failing and not asking the question why, um, then no, it won't be a lesson. So yeah, you're quite mm. right. You need to almost stop going. Well, stop thinking of failure as failure. And start thinking of it as more as lessons. The, new, the nuance lessons. there, Bryn, is is that embracement of failure, yeah. that embracement of challenge, that embracement of being in a position where you know someone else could do better mm -hmm. or you expected more from yourself and for whatever reason it didn't happen. Instead of looking at that as failure, like you fucked up this year, you fucked up this month, things you expected didn't happen. Yeah, give yourself a hard time, mm. but understand why and, and actually get excited by the fact you've been gifted knowledge yeah do you know what i mean well, you, you now understand something you didn't understand before yeah because you hadn't tried it you yeah. hadn't tried this thing and you hadn't failed and therefore you didn't know that plan a is an ineffective plan you might need to go through plan a b c d e before you get to plan f which is a, <laughs> maybe a wrong yeah. number plan g um the goal <laughs> plan which works like yeah you don't know the right the right route unless it's complete guesswork and some out. people get it some people go straight in to the right plan and fuck me like life just gifts them mm -hmm. this unicorn of a life and hey it's not through hard work and effort but that they found the route quickly yeah other people might need to knock on a lot of doors and it's on what feels like that quite quite that last door where hey there's something behind it that's worth pursuing and you've now unlocked it you found the path you found a way to progress and make make you know make good of your efforts but you don't know you you don't know which door to knock on yeah so you have to keep knocking on them and learning from each and every bit of effort you put in yeah. and get excited by the fact every day is an opportunity and, to learn and i guess knocking on door is kind of the same as rejection isn't it almost like yeah. you get rejected and that can feel like a failure as well so i guess they come quite closely linked feeling like I'm being rejected, I'm being, fa you know, there's failure there in being rejected. So keep knocking on the door and eventually, ha, huh, you succeed. So there's also just knocking on that door of opportunity and, and just keep persevering and realizing that it is a path. Everyone has a path. Some paths are more windy and some paths are longer. And as you said, some are more linear. Some are just bang straight to where they, um, A to Z. They get to where they need to. And that happens infrequently, by the way. But, yeah, but it does it look from the really, outside. There's some people that just gone. Look like that. The first thing they they thought of just led to massive success. Yeah, like you can't help but to think of some people and go, "Oh, they just lucked out." Yeah, yeah. Like you can look at someone like um, Ben Fra Francis from Gymshark, mm. Gymshark CEO. He's 27 years old. Companies, I think, pull in about 150 million a year at the moment mm -hmm. uh, in US revenue. Um, 27. Mm. To be the CEO of a very well-known apparel brand that's competing with the likes of Nike and so forth in terms of, you know, mindshare in the gym in a material way. You go, wow, it's easy to say he fucking lucked out. You know, he was 19, 20 when he, he came up with the idea and he just lucked out. And maybe, maybe he did. But at the same time, 
he had three or four failed entrepreneurial efforts before starting Gymshark. And I guarantee he's still fucking up now. And yeah, and every day. day's a fuck up. And it's easy to look at it and be like, he's reached the North Star and, and, and he's there. He's Everyone arrived, wants that. Because yeah. that sounds like at 27, to have, made, have come up with your idea at 19 and be 27, yeah. leading this company with it going places. Like, that's luck. That's, that's, that's that path I wanted to find at 19. But he's been, it was knocking at the doors from 15, 16, 17 on things that weren't ever going to be a yeah, big yeah. thing. And he kept knocking on doors and he found yeah. one that opened. And then, you know, a bit of luck, a little knowing the right people, getting at it. People seeing the opportunity and the gift in him. Yeah. And him fucking up and learning. Like, that's where he's at. But as you say, he didn't, it's not been plain sailing for him yeah. throughout the last eight years. But from the outside, you might go, just lucky bastard. Yeah. Like, it's a fucking well, we t-shirt with, like, with, with a shark on the front. Yeah, yeah. Like, how difficult is that? And we always <laughs> like to think that it's uh, the overnight success, but it very rarely very ever rarely is. is. I mean, it's, it never really ever is. Um, you look at you look at people that are kind of uh, an overnight success, and you go, actually, when you look and delve deeper into their past, you go, oh, shit, yeah, they've actually... Jay Shetty looks like an overnight success because yeah. no one knew, knew of him last year. And it was so quick, his success, yes. but... He was a monk for three or four years and he's developed his thinking through being a monk he like, said he put out so many cvs and after being a monk and he was like because i'm a monk no one wants me so he got rejected so many times and he just said you know and that le leads you to feeling like a failure but he was like i didn't i was unshakable and i carried on but that's because he was like, okay, what am I doing wrong? What are my failures? And learning from it. And then and he's done loads of videos. Yeah. And not all of them have been successful. Yeah. And then he hit his stride. And you, you and I were talking about this before we came online. There's people, some people right now that have a platform. And as a result of their platform, anything they do will be a success. Yeah. Unless they completely put out something crap. But you can put out a book, a bit of cookware. You can bring out a routine. You can, mm -hmm. you know, when you've got a platform, everything will be a success to some degree because there's enough people that are rooting for you that like you that you have a voice too yeah and if jay jay shetty said i'm bringing out a mug with my face on it it would Probably be a massive so. success <laughs> in comparison to other mugs being created yeah, yeah. it just would be but that, that's because that. it's, it's attached to him his brand and the connection you have with him the same with james smith like his book's going to come out in january it's going to be a roaring success why because he's got a platform in which he's building you know monetize monetizable products of yeah and i can't there's not nothing against that that's fantastic but he's built the platform but that platform didn't come easy he's yeah. had to work at that yeah well like uh i don't know how much you know about joe wicks but joe wicks is talking about when he um first started out doing what he wants to do which he's doing now he started running local boot camps and he turned up to the park and no one showed up he said sometimes i'd will all my kit all the way to the park turn up and there'll be no one there and it'll be pissing down with rain and i'd stand in the corner and i'll give leaflets out and no one would show up anyone, anyone, can, anyone can do that yeah doesn't mean if everyone does that everyone will be successful because you need yeah you need more than just to show up yeah you need to show up and learn when you're failing and he's got experience and likability and whatnot and yeah. obviously that that but that. but it's a very it's a very fair point which is the people that seem to be killing it right now i bet you they're failing every single day still yeah and, and have their failures 
at the early part of their career would have prevented most people from seeing the benefits they're seeing today because they would have given up. Yeah. But instead of seeing them as failure, he's gone, all right, so my, my boot camp isn't popular. It's part of the what, what do I need to change? How yeah, do I yeah. need to market this? How do I need to make people more excited about this? And he obviously created that. Yeah. So, and you, you touched on rejection. Yeah. There's, 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 I've got to talk about this. There's a guy called, um, I'm going to get his name wrong. I know how to spell it, but I don't know if I know how to say it. Gia Jane. J-I-A. Gia Jane. J-I-A. Jane, which is J-A-I-N-G. Um, he's an Asian, American Asian guy. Uh-huh. And he, I'm not entirely sure of his, his background, but you know, he's, he's been an entrepreneur for much of his life. Um, however, he was struggling with the fear of rejection, getting in the way of business ideas, in, uh, requesting investments uh, from investors, and generally propelling his life forward. Uh, it wasn't necessarily killing it or making it in his life when he reached this realization that he knew that the fear of rejection was getting in the way. Mm-hmm. So he went about putting together a blog and an experiment which has now created him. He's, he's done TED Talks. He's got books out. This individual is well known as a result of this one decision. This decision was he will have 100 days of rejection where in his his ability to improve his his comfort with rejection, he'll go about interfacing with the world, deliberately trying to get rejection. Not asking someone something which you probably will get a yes, but asking something that will almost definitely get a no. no, So for example, he'd go knock on someone's random door, just walk down the high street, knock on their door and say, hi, I just wondered if I could come in and play football in your garden. And they're like, no. So, okay, all right. And he'll then go into Costco and he's, he, not, he, he spoke to the, I said, can I speak to the manager? The manager will come out and said, I really like Costco. Such a great shop. Can I get on the tannoy and speak to all your customers about how much I love Costco? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll give you a free lunch with the manager and you can talk to us for an hour. Yeah. That's great. You you, you love our, I think, but no. Um and he's he's I'm trying to think of other things. He he would go he would um he would pre- he would do a presentation in the middle of the high street and put up a uh, put up a thing there just saying a, pre- a talk in five minutes and no one turns up and he just talks to himself anyway, knowing that people are looking and thinking he's a nutter. <laughs> and he would just ask you know he would ask for investment decisions that he knew we would get knowing. Mm-hmm. He'd ask people for business opportunities that he knew that they would say no to. Mm-hmm. And some, and he learned so much incredible stuff, including people want to say yes. Mm-hmm. They just can't always say yes. People are more empathetic than you realize if you just ask. Yeah. The bolder you ask, the more likely you are to get people's attention. And sometimes crazy shit happens. Like he went into Starbucks. Uh, no. Krispy Kremes. He went into Krispy Kremes and he asked um, the lady behind the cashier desk, can I have uh, the Olympic rings made out of your donuts, please? You know, the, in, you know, the, uh, the Olympic rings um, logo the, the, the is links. interlinked. Yeah. Yeah, basically, can you make that out of donuts for me, please? And she was like, let me try. I was like, what? what? Yeah, let, let me see if I can do it. Then, then she tried to make it. She made it. <laughs> and that was the thing that kind of really made him because that would that, that hit the news. It's like this cashier who didn't have to say yes said yes. Yeah. 
and then he's you know he's got he, he's gone into Starbucks and he said, "Can I um be your greeter as everyone walks through the door? I just want to greet people as they walk through the shop. Don't have to pay me. I just want to come. I just want to greet people on your behalf." And I think they might have said yes, but he was asking for things that mostly were going to yeah, give yeah. him a no. And I love that. Basically, it taught him so many things. He wrote a book. He's doing TED talks on it. He's got a business which which he's now developing as a result of his un, his innate understanding of failure mm. uh, sorry rejection and that comfort of being rejected just think about in your life mm -hmm. if you did not fear rejection yeah that that thing that you want but you you feel too nervous to ask for you just fucking ask for it anyway and you don't care if it's a no you'd like it to be a yes but you don't care at all if it's a no imagine if you went through life where no's meant nothing to you mm. The yeses are great, the celebrations, but the noes were just like just water for ducks back. Mm. You do those sales call and sales calls and people just hang up on you or just say blankly no or tell you to fuck off. Like, doesn't matter, I don't care. Like, I'm not saying be nonchalant or not care about wanting the yeses. Mm -hmm. It's about not fearing rejection yeah. and just how more opportunistic you can become when you're willing to ask. And I, 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 this makes sense to me because when I was working in a recruitment company, done it for only six months, didn't like it. Um, and I gave up very quickly because I recruited myself into another job. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember the moment I, I said to my manager, it just isn't working. I don't want to do it. Part of the a job of recruiters is that you have to recruit potential employers that yeah. you can you can represent and get candidates for, right? You're trying to find jobs. You're trying to ask for a company to trust you to find jobs on their behalf. And that's a sales pitch. The moment I quit and I had to play out my month's notice, my ability to get yeses skyrocketed. It's like my, my best performance you stop, you stop was caring. my one month's notice mm. because I was getting more and more meetings with people that would be, were saying no to this branch. And they were just saying, yeah, come, come in, we'll, we'll chat to you. And my manager was like, you sure you don't want to stay? I'm like, I don't want to stay. I didn't like the, I didn't like the job. Yeah. But I didn't care about the results. I didn't care about the company at that point. I didn't care about me trying to succeed. I didn't care about anything to do with that job because I knew I was going somewhere else. But I was still doing the job. I wasn't being an ass. And yeah, I was getting results. So was imagine if you could apply that same logic to something you do care about. Well, I've, I've seen it with back when I was 18 in a nightclub with my mates and there's a gorgeous girl standing there. No one will go up to her because she's gorgeous. But you'd see other situations where they're not that good looking and I know it's shallow, but it's what we were like when we were 18 in a nightclub. Yeah, yeah and your lads, yeah, <laughs> your, your mates would go up to them because they're not actually that intimidating. They're not that good looking. So they would just approach them and wouldn't fear rejection that much. However, when she's this beautiful blonde and, and, and the stakes are quite high because she's so beautiful and you, you, all your mates are like, you'd never be able to get her. Suddenly they get all nervous and then they're like, and then they won't go over and approach her because that fear of rejection is so much greater. Although they're doing the exact same thing. They're asking for a yes or a no. Yeah. Um, but because they care so much more about it, it's such a big, a bigger deal to them. And, and that, it, that what you're just saying to that, that is, that's one of the biggest rejections you can get not, yeah. not it's a big yeah. deal but like if you think about evolution and stuff like that you know we're here to mate right we're here yeah. to procreate 
So this idea of asking a girl like, out. finding a mate is, yeah. is a big deal. It's like built into us. You know, yeah. it is re- it's literally built into us. And when you fear not getting a mate or being able to acquire interest, get and be attractive, is it? That's yeah. like deep down, it hurts your ego like more than anything else. Yeah, yeah. But some people, it intoxicates them and it just handicaps them to the point that they're immobilized and they can't act. Whereas others, they're like, that somehow, override that. They still have an ego, but they kind of enjoy the pursuit. And even if they fail, they'll celebrate their failure. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I think, um, I guess it comes from an evolution standpoint where you don't want to get rejected from your tribe. So it's a, an ego protection mechanism that stops you from getting rejected, I guess, from, from a tribe that's going to feed you and protect you and a family and connection. And I guess that that social aspect of being rejected and not liked by others is your your armor, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's why we don't like rejection. Like you're saying, it's a primal thing that we don't want to get rejected. Our ego by does not... A, a, yeah, but doesn't a, a like mate. it. Doesn't want it. Exactly. And the same goes for okay, you, you don't want to um if you're talking to another guy, it's not because you you like that guy in terms of um like you would with a woman, but it's more that you want that approval and that sort of belonging. If you walk into a room, you want to be able to go in there and not get rejected. So you want to f- go in and feel like you belong. And there's just a huge fear of going into a room and asking for something or and rejection isn't just asking for something as well. And that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. It's rejection isn't going, can I have this? Yes or no. It's going into a room and feeling rejected, just feeling like you haven't been embraced. Let's let's talk about that because I know that was that's something that you you work on from a mindset perspective. It's a limiting yeah. factor for you that you're aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, know, I think I think you was going to talk about this roughly now. Like, so yeah. is this this about validation? and judgment like you you talk you've you mentioned to me a couple of times this idea of being in a room it's almost like it sounds like a recurring nightmare but like mm-hmm. get stepping into a room where there are others and those others not embracing you treating you as a peer yeah respecting your opinion um you know putting you at the appropriate level of either knowledge or wit or intelligence or humor mm-hmm. whatever it is but feeling inferior yeah. to a group of people in a room talk to me a little bit about what you think that is and what the lesson is and what you're trying to work on. Well, I, I, going back to like the tribe, I almost feel like it's you're trying to become part of a tribe and that belonging. And if you, and that that sort of inbuilt fear of rejection and not being embraced, it, I feel when I walk into a room where there's a lot of people, I'm fine when it's like one-on-one or there's two or three of us. Mm-hmm. As soon as this, this group starts to build, I can feel myself starting to go into my shell i can feel that i I, the reason i'm going into my shell is because i'm kind of protecting myself from getting that rejection because if i express myself and and act normal then i may get rejected and if i get rejected that's going to hurt so i almost seek validation and i want to to do stuff that i know will get validation from others And and i and i try and I try and not allow myself to attach my emotions based on their opinions of me because, and whether that's good or bad. So I was talking to you before the podcast, I try and not attach my emotions to when someone says, that's great, you've done a really good job, I really like that, or you're good looking, or you're funny, or whatever it is. If someone says something like that, you go, cool, and you kind of acknowledge it, but you don't embrace it too much. You kind of just, you just 
you just acknowledge it, right? Because if I'm going to acknowledge the good, I've got to acknowledge the bad. And if I'm going to acknowledge the bad, I've got to acknowledge the good, right? So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to acknowledge both, but I'm not going to allow it to control my emotions too much. So that when I walk into a room, I don't feel like whether they think I'm bad or good, whatever that means, I'm not going to allow that to affect my emotions too much. Does that make sense? It, it does. So, I mean, now, you and I have spoken about this before. We've spoken about, you know, your tendency being one of somewhat of an obliger mm-hmm. and, and obligers live, live their, or that they have a tendency to live their life through the acknowledgement of others. Yeah. To, to, to almost be a martyr to some degree to serve others, but mm. also receive benefit feel good about themselves only when yeah. others say good things or, or and they will feel terrible if people think badly of them. Yeah. You know, for me, I'm more of a questioner. I sit more at the kind of polar opposite of that. I care less about what people think of me, but that can come with empathy issues. Yeah. Right. Because I'm less aware of what people think and I don't care about what you think. And therefore yeah. I can come across like I don't care about you. Yeah. Uh, you're empathetic, but the, the Achilles heel of that empathy yeah, exactly. is that, you're 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 seeking that approval as well you're seeking empathy you're you're seeking validation Mm. and you're trying to avoid judgment because it you've at least had an experience of feeling the pain of feeling judged and either ridiculed or rejected previously yeah so what you're what you're saying now in terms of what you're trying to work on is this disassociating your internal kind of feelings to what people say that mm. sounds like that's something you're trying to master versus you've mastered it yeah which is to not care too what much people say yeah so it's like i so and i'm much better at it and it's and it sounds like i just i'm trying to get to a point where i don't care and i'm almost emotionally cold and shut myself off from others because i don't want to sound like i'm trying to get in Still to need to have space. feedback. Exactly. Still need to have feedback. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I say um, I need to acknowledge it, but I need to not place too much um, emphasis emphasis on it. So, so if someone when, patted on your back and said, you're an amazing PT, yeah, you don't want to go home and just feel like you're going to crack open the champagne and celebrate and say, like, well, I'm, the, I'm the world's best and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, if someone said to you, you know what, like, I've quit intent to improve because I just really didn't like Bryn. You're not going to go and cry in, into yeah, your hands and exactly. just like think the world's over. Because I've had a few occasions where in the past I've had like in my career as a coach where I've had really good feedback and it's made me feel amazing. And I'm like, wow, yeah. that person said this and I highly um, respect them and da, 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 and so on. And it makes me feel a certain way and I allow it to like raise me. But then that means that uh, then something bad will knock me right back down. Because now I go, like I acknowledge that. I respect that person. That's amazing. That's cool. Awesome. I'm just doing me anyway. And then, and then if you get something bad, you kind of react the same as well. Cause you're not, you're not in this place where you're high up and you're going to get knocked off because I'm not too like, Oh, wow. That person said this. Oh, that person said that. I'm not, I'm not reacting that way. I'm going cool. That person said that. And that person said that they're, they're two polar opposites, but that's cool. I'm still doing what I'm doing. I remember Elliot Hulse talking about a story uh, of a bird on a um, on a branch, and it would it was just an analogy. And this bird singing its tune, and uh, someone walks past and like, "Hey, bird! Like amazing tune! Like I love the song." And the bird's like, "Meh, well, I'm just singing because I enjoy singing." 
And then a guy starts throwing rocks at it. I hate your bloody song. You woke me up and uh, I hate the noise that you're making. It's a racket. And he's throwing stuff at it. And the bird looks at it and goes, I don't care. I'm singing my tune. Like, it's just what I do. I'm a bird. Um, and that, that story really resonated with me. And there's more to that story, obviously. But that story really resonated with me where it's like the bird didn't acknowledge, what well, acknowledged, but it, and it responded, but it didn't like worry too much about the person. It didn't celebrate the fact that someone said, oh, you sound amazing, but neither did it when someone was throwing rocks at it. It was like, well, I'm a bird and I'm going to sing and that's what I do. And I'm, I enjoy it and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. I think, I think what you're trying to achieve is it's just a greater sense of self-worth where you, your feelings are derived from your judgment of you. Mm. And how you perceive you to be doing, and, and, and it's your self-standard which is driving your performance or your desire to improve. Yeah, and your self-worth, your self-love, your uh, appreciation for yourself is going to be something that you should be at least ninety percent in control. Mm. Yes, you can waver depending on other people's opinions to some degree, but the large part that drives you getting up in the morning feeling feeling good about yourself and celebrating your own wins is whether you met your own standard. If yeah. you're being consistent with who you you know yourself to be versus waiting for others to tell you that you fucked up, you did wrong, you're never going to make it, you're this, you're that, yeah. or you're great. I, I agree. I think I think having a balance, having not a, a numbness, but a... Unshakable belief in your own core values, and you're acting off of those core values then that's cool. What, what everyone else thinks doesn't matter because you know you're being true to your values. That's a good and one. That's man. kind of what I'm trying to achieve. That's good. What about what about this? So, and what, one thing that triggers me a little bit when I watch stuff online is this notion of fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And I know this has been a pop, popular trend in kind of message out to young or naive entrepreneurs, which mm -hmm. is at some point you're going to have to start and you're not going to know shit. But if everyone waited until they knew a load of stuff, no one would ever get anything done. Mm -hmm. And that's fair. So faking it till you make it is this idea of somewhat being an imposter, but having the confidence to engage in a space where you know you're not the best mm -hmm. until you acquire the skill to be the best. And I don't want to fully discount that because I think there's some merit to it. But what... But, but what greats at me is this is this notion that if you want something Bryn you can get it you can get it if it's, entitlement. if it's your passion go after it screw your job mm. get rid get you know take huge risk get rid of the, your employment and your salary go pursue it because unless you're all in and you're fully committed your passion like there's there's one life just go for it yeah and I like hey that works for some people if one, you're fully, fully tuned into what you need to do, the value it can provide, and you've got confidence in your own capabilities to grow, to learn, to develop, to listen, to be comfortable with failure. Mm -hmm. And you've got to really know you're comfortable with failure because you're going to fucking fail a lot when you're brand new in an industry. Unless you've got all those things netted down and you know what you're pursuing makes sense, not just in terms of making some money, mm. but adding value to your life, enriching you because you're after something more than you you're after some purpose, yeah. then that makes sense. And here's the point. I think when people are fueled, when people are fueled almost exclusively for you through passion, mm -hmm. 
sometimes they can be blindsided. It can lead you down the wrong path. Because passion, it can blind you. Like, think about when you're passionately in love with, you know, new relationship. A lot of, you, you don't see any of their faults. Mm-hmm. You don't see any of the problems that might come from that person that you're, you know, you're really, really upset, obsessed with. You'll forget, you'll real, you don't even realize you're spending less time with your friends and, you know, other things that were a priority are less of a priority because you are passionately obsessed about this new relationship. That might be terrible for you, by the mm-hmm. way. Might be a really bad person, but you're all in. Can't see it. Can't see the wood through the trees. We've all been there. We've all yeah. seen what that looks like, either in others or in ourselves. Passion by itself isn't enough. So when people say, follow your passion, I go, yes, but no. I think you should be fueled by your passion, but you should be driven by your purpose. Mm. And unless you've got that clear in your mind, right, you can have desires, which is another word for passion, like, I want to be this, I want to be that. It'd be great if it looks like this. But unless you have a purpose, something that says, what's beyond me? I'm not trying to sell a widget or jump on some trend because everyone's buying these things these days. I've got to be me too in that industry. Or, you know, the vegan community is hot right now. Let me make a vegan product because everyone's going to buy it. Mm. Unless you can attach some purpose to that and say, in me doing that, I'm going to fulfill something that's bigger than me. I'm going to make money, but I'm going to do something that's bigger than me. I'm going to actually leave something. But you're going to add value, which in turn brings business. Yeah. And, And I feel following your passion should be caveated with having a purpose mm. or at least being driven by a sense of purpose. And it might not be completely crystallized, but it, there needs to be some shape of it. Mm. Because if you are following something because you want to get in on a trend or it's hot right now and therefore you're passionate about it or you're obsessed about it because you just like learning about geeky stuff and mm-hmm. right now, right, right here, right now, you're obsessed about fireplaces and therefore you want to be the world's best fireplace person. Like, unless you can attach value to that and understand I want to sell fireplaces because it means this to people and I can, you know, unless you can tell a story, your why, and make yeah. sense, I feel following your passion will fizzle. Following your passion will blindside you to the fact that sometimes your passion ain't working, mm. that you're pursuing a dead end. You're going to come to a cul-de-sac. You know, this ain't going anywhere. But because you're so embedded in that passion, you can't hear that it's failing. You don't mm. want to hear it's failing. You don't, you're, not, you're unwilling to either pivot or completely give up mm. because it's a passion. But at some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble you. Yeah. At some point, it's all going to, come crashing down unless what sits underneath that passion is a purpose a why because that fuels way beyond that that kind of honeymoon period of following something yeah i mean because you if you just follow your passion you will end up probably not being passionate about it because when you are just passionate about something i.e fitness if you just go into it going i like training so i'm going to be a coach you then end up probably hating your job because then you've now attached your passion with emails, with trying to earn a living, early starts, late finishes, uh, and, and all the nuances that come with with coaching, right? Because you're passionate about training and you might end up going, you know what, I don't like going in the gym anymore. Like training is now a bit of a chore because that's, so that's true, my workplace. Man. So true. So then actually rather than having go, having the purpose of going, I actually 
honestly feel I can help people. Like I have a message. I know stuff about nutrition and training and I, I'm, yes, I'm passionate about it. And that's how I started. But I, I really, really think I can help the majority. I can help more people. And I feel that people don't know what I know and they need to know it. And that will really, really help change their life. I think that will be much more fulfilling and fueling. Totally agree. As opposed to just going into it because you're passionate about training. And and do you know what, what the common theme is with that? And I haven't really fully netted this, you know, nailed this down for me, but it makes sense is what you've just said. Mm. Is unless that passion seeks to help other people, it will fizzle out. Yeah. So what you've just said is like, yeah, I, you know, I love training, hence the reason I got into it. Um, but the minutiae of my job to make a living in personal training is mm -hmm. grating. But what keeps me going is the know that is the knowledge that I'm helping others yeah. materially help helping them be their best in whatever capacity I can do. And in turn, they'll go about kind of passing that on as well, because they're slightly better now delivering more value as well mm -hmm. as a cascading benefit of me helping people show up. Yeah. And if you think about what I'm doing, the message is very similar. But if you look across any business that really does, really does both continue for a long time and is driven through a why that people can really resonate with mm -hmm. it's always always built on adding value to others yeah and if you add value to others typically businesses th thrive if you persevere and you've got the right person you've got the right team and you've got the right business plan and your focus is on the customer or helping others goodness comes but when yeah. you're focused on filling your passion which is making you feel good yeah. about you doing what you've chosen to do as a career like a hobby you yeah. could forget why you're doing the career which really almost all careers are there to serve someone else that's business isn't it yeah you're doing something for someone else mm -hmm. but the more you can attach a personal win i think the more it becomes emotive because now you can really change people's lives yeah and and i really gained that experience um, that perspective when i read uh, be so good they can't ignore you have you read that book i haven't so be so good they can't ignore you he talks about you you don't a lot of people kind of follow their passion and he explains what happens when you follow your passion kind of like we're you know saying, who the author is uh i feel like it's john i i don't want to say because i'm not sure but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll we can link it afterwards yeah. um but he, he basically says he he says this is what happens when you follow your passion he'll and he and he gives you real life stories of people that followed their passions and it's not quite worked out um and he also dispels things like find your passion what does that mean finding your passion and if you just go to find your passion, you won't find it. You can't find your passion. You can only create passion through a bigger meaning um, and getting good at something. So having a bit of a mission statement, like I'm gonna, I can help people um, lead a healthier, fitter life, and, and and you have a sort of a higher purpose. And then you get so good at what you're doing that you actually have some real tangible value to offer that that purpose right mm -hmm. that's when you then build that passion passion ignites and it's like okay I'm that, i love my job i'm so passionate about my career you know why you're doing it and you're, you're so, good at it yeah exactly yeah. And, and he's like that is the recipe basically for passion rather than the other way around going i'm going to follow my passion or i'm going to find my passion actually you know what just add value kind of like we're touching on add value and get so good at adding value and then, and then get so builds. good at it yeah, yeah. because and I, I get that because when i'm uh, so yesterday I was, I was talking another coach from another gym. He came into our gym to talk about programming because he knew I could help. 
And guess what? I suddenly came alive and I was passionate because I was like, I know what I'm talking about. I'm good at programming. I did it for a long time and I have something to offer you and I can really see that you need the help with it. And that made me feel really good and passionate about what I was doing. But you know what? I wasn't passionate about programming before, like, mm. because I, it was a chore, it was hard work, but now it feels great. I love it. And I actually quite like to help other coaches with programming. That's good. I like so that. That, yeah. that was an anecdotal experience for me yeah, yeah. personally. So that's a, that's, it's a lovely finer point. Yeah. That. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Let's go two more, uh, one more each yeah. and be done with this one. So maybe my, my last one is um, your struggle is mm -hmm. your privilege. Yeah. And what would I mean by that? If you if you read if people if you read a lot of biographies autobiographies, quite often, well, in part because this is what helps books sell, but largely because this is life. Like a, bi a biography is, or it's especially an autobiography, mm. has an undulating kind of story arc. Right? There's there's always loads of ups and downs. There's loads of like failure and mistakes and bankruptcies and you know. Yeah. Um, people rejecting them or just a really bad upbringing use yeah exactly yeah. bad parents no parents you know drugs as you say um no one caring for them going going up against it no silver spoon just mm -hmm. and most most of the autobiographies that are you know well well received typically have that suffering at the the beginning and almost a central theme of their life yet through that suffering They've achieved greatness. And then you hear other people's stories that may have not written autobiographies, but they've got their own message. And they mm. always seem to have, like, had a really bad upbringing. Like, you know, there was abuse. My, my, my dad killed himself. You know, you know, there was this, that, you know, so much. You know, there was rape. There was this. And, that. and I, I remember I was in an interview once. Um, it was for a job I didn't necessarily want, but I was going through the paces and I got to towards the end stages of this job for a, a reputable company, tech company. I got to what would have been the final stage with what ended up being quite an arsehole of a leader. So I wouldn't have been able to work with him anyway. The interview proved that. But he said to me, like, why do you want the job? Gave him an answer. It was kind of stockpile. I was quite young at the time. And I think I gave a convincing enough answer. He then went on to say, what has made you how you are? What has made you want this job? What has made you as successful as you suggest you are and as successful as you say you're going to be? What has, what has done that? Tell me about it. And I, I couldn't give him an answer because in that moment, I was rewinding through my life. Mm. And in that moment, I had no fucking story to tell him. And you're looking for one big like, you know, struggle, right? I, you know, I was looking at my, you know, I was like retracing my, my childhood and thinking, that's not, that wasn't that bad. And, you know, through my schooling, that wasn't that bad. I'd done pretty well. And, you know, in the moment, I didn't see much of a struggle. And I gave him some answer and he's like, that ain't good enough. Give me more. I tried to give another one. He said, like, this ain't working. Go out for 10 minutes. Come back in and give me a fucking real answer. Came back in. I still give, 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 couldn't give him a good enough answer. I then, it really irked me really pissed me off that i i failed on something that was just my life <laughs> mm. so i actually even though i didn't want the job i wrote like a like a an email back to him really thought about it put a timeline to give my life and i said you know what these are some of my probably my defining moments 
single par parent upbringing, um, very low, low class, living off catalogs, you know, lots of debt, you know, independent, having to be independent because of that, you know, having different men in my in my life has forced me to not rely on others. Mm. And, you know, I could, I started to paint a story, but I didn't have that. And if I'm honest, I wouldn't really use that now. But the point I'm making is through that moment, it made me almost jealous of others who had a really good story. Yeah. It made me jealous of the guy who was 300 pounds and he's now 180. You hear, mm. Have you heard of David Goggins? And he yeah, talks yeah. about his life and all the abuse he had to deal with and yeah. all the shit he had to deal with. And you go, oh, it's a tough life. And, and you can hear, you know, we hear the most inspirational leaders or talkers or presenters. They always have this really shitty story that came good. Mm. And I, I don't know if I have a really shit story. Like the last, last 15 plus years have gone really well. But I have to dig deeper if I want to find the struggle. Yeah. But I'm living through a struggle right now. I'm living through suffering now, but not in a way that's killing me, in a way which I'm loving because we spoke about failure being learning. Yeah. But embracing, embracing your suffering and, and realizing it as a privilege. Because if you look at a David Goggins or you look at someone else who talks through all the hardships or a Richard Branson and being, you know, autistic and people not believing in any of his ideas and being, you know, his school wanting to, you know, expel him and stuff through the work mm. he was doing. Like you listen to anyone's story, Alan Sugar, they all come up with like lots of suffering. Yeah. And yet we as listeners or people observing their life really enjoy that story and can see it's that suffering that created that momentum to not want to suffer anymore. We would have a rags to riches story. Do you know what I mean? But it's, yeah. And, and I just think there's so much value in looking at suffering as a privilege, looking at suffering as a gift, because if you can endure suffering through suffering, you have now, you've understood what you don't want. Mm -hmm. First of all, you may suffer to succeed and you understand that's just part of the journey, right? To, to, to be, to win at something, I have to put in a lot of effort and it's going to, I need mental toughness. That's part of suffering. Mm. But suffering can also be, you just had a shit life. Shit happened to you that wasn't really your doing. You just got, you're in the crosshairs of bad decisions that happened in and around you. And in the moment, it's hard to reflect on that and say that's a privilege. But in retrospect, it almost always is. Mm. If you can come good on that, if you can say, I don't want that anymore. And it's with that suffering, I've got a story and I've got a reason and a motivation to pull away from that and create something different. Yeah. And that, I love the idea of that. So if you can look at your life and say, you know, I've had a real tough this, that, I've had three jobs on the trot that have been really horrendous. I had a boss that just made my life hell. You know, I went through a period of depression. You know, I've had this going with my kids. My childhood was absolute rubbish. My parents split up, whatever. There's some there's something that can fuel you, fuel you in that suffering. Yeah. And trying to live a life which is all about comfort, which is trying to avoid suffering. And like when when there's someone looking at, you know, like me, right? I could listen to someone suffering and go, poor them. Like if if they haven't made it yet, I can say, poor them, are oh, their life shit? Oh, like it just is it's all going wrong for them. And I can, I can either scorn, or I can judge, or I can sympathize, or I can empathize. But nonetheless, I'm comfortable. You're not. Let's, let's 
tough life. Mm. We're not all meant to be comfortable like me. Yeah. I could do that. Mm. But in actual fact, if you're living a life that's always comfortable, you're not fucking trying. Yeah. Where's if, no you're growth? Living, if you're living a life that's always comfortable, you're never going to take risks because you're, you're going to want to uh, avoid discomfort at all costs. Yeah. Whereas people that have suffered are willing to suffer again mm. in pursuit of greatness. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's the short-term gain over the long-term gain, right? It's not that you're choosing the suffering, but just acknowledging that the suffering isn't always... It can be a blessing in disguise. And knowing that it's like your failures, it's don't feel bad about it. Like it is... Wear it, is. it like and a badge of honor. And that's where the growth happens. Wear it like a badge of honor. Yeah, do you know what? I've had a tough life. I had last year was whatever really the lowest point point of my life and i've been challenged in all of these ways own that wear it like a badge so <clears> like you know what I've, i'm earning my stripes what the fuck have you done yeah right you might not be suffering but you're you're not also going anywhere mm. right your comfort is going to lead to a, a life of meh yeah fine if that's what you want cool but i'm suffering in pursuit of something better or i've been in, suffering has been imposed on me but as a result, I still earn the stripes of that suffering. Mm. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Exactly. Love it. Right. You've got to close on something more powerful than that. Right. <laughs> Pressure's on now. <laughs> extreme, ownership, extreme ownership. So I, I'm a big fan of just owning your shit. Like you've just got to take control of your life and the responsibilities and the outcomes of your life. Like you, I just feel like there's too much finger pointing and blaming and I'm this way because of, I don't know, the government or because of the financial world or, or whatever, I don't know, whatever outside force that's creating you to do this or that. It's not, it's always usually coming internally and you've got to realize that your thoughts and your actions will manifest and your life will be a reflection of that. So I feel that we have to take ownership of of our almost like our perspective on life. But I think that's kind of where it starts from. Let me put some context behind it. So if something bad happens, so kind of like what we're just talking about now, if something bad happens to you, it's now your responsibility to take ownership of how you feel about that. So if, um, I don't know, someone uh, that it goes back to the hardships in life, like if, if, if there's hardship in your life, how are you going to respond? Because you might have a brother and sister that have both had abuse in their life. And one will go one way, one will go the other way. One will go and build a successful business and the other one will go um, and be, you know, addicted to drugs. But, and they both had the same experience, mm -hmm. but they both have different perspective. One of them goes, right, okay, that's happened to me. I'm going to learn from it and it's probably toughened me up. And now I'm going to make and create a better life because of that. And the other person might go, poor me, um, why does life happen to me? Um, and they'll go the other route. And I feel like we need to take extreme ownership of how we feel and our perspective on certain situations and then take control of that. Do you agree? Does that make sense to you? Because for me, I have been a bit of a, a victim in the past, that victim mentality and feeling like it's happening to me. So now going, you know what? The only reason things happen to me is because I let them. Um, and I can actually change that and I can actually change the outcome. There's certain things we can't change, obviously, but there's, I can change how I feel. 
and I can change where my life's going, where it's heading. Obviously, there's roadblocks, but I can control that. Ultimately, I can control how I feel in the future and what I do. I think that The Truman Show is a great film that, for me, resonates. Have you have you seen The yeah, Truman yeah, Show? Yeah, I've watched it, yeah. So this very notion that life is kind of playing out around you as the center of the universe and how it plays out is really dependent on your the way you think about it the way you interact with it but ultimately it's it's the steve show and that resonates for me not resonates for me in as much that this world is circulating around me but this world is circulating around circulating around all of us individually and that the way that you experience the world mm. is all on you and it's conspiring and things are happening in accordance to your belief and your actions and what you intend life to be about because ultimately I, you know you can look at life as being you know we're one of 7.5 billion and we've been here for in for tiny amounts of time a blink of an eyelid and therefore we're all insignificant we may as well just go die now right you could look at it that way and that's one way evolutionary and and realistically we are tiny little fish in a massive sea and our impact is always going to be insignificant in the grandiose uh aspects of life and evolution mm -hmm. your your contribution yeah. brin is going to be tiny mm -hmm. it's going to, it's not even going to be seen neither is mine especially through time that being said that an alternative perspective is to think that my life is completely in my control because what am i I'm a, I'm a sentient being with a with a very complex brain more complex than any other animal in this world i'm not saying other animals don't think and feel and suffer but they don't suffer the way we do because we've been blessed and cursed with an a intelligent brain a brain that can you know attach many dots together that can think outside of our, our basic means and start hypothesizing and worrying mm. like my dog don't worry i'm telling you now he may suffer he may be lonely he may be happy when he sees me but he's not worrying he's not mm. he isn't i can tell you he's not <laughs> he's sleeping all day long he's not worrying <laughs> at all um he's not going through complex thoughts of like i've got to learn something today what should i learn about like no he's not thinking about growth-mindedness much be worrying about when his next meal is yeah he's not he's not worried about fuck all and I think for the majority of species on the planet, mm. they're worrying about survival, like and procreation. But beyond, that's more be, but beyond well. that, they're not worried about how do I feel. Yeah, they're not worried about who am I, what's my purpose, what's my passion, am I following my passion? My dog's not thinking, am I following my passion? Mm. No fucking way, no way. Neither is a cow on the field thinking about whether his passion is being met or not. It just isn't happening, right? So, but we've been blessed with this ability to, you know, do science, mm. to, you know, go through, do psychology, uh, really think about the human mind. And the more we think, the brighter we get. But the brighter we get, the more burdened we are mm. with our sheer intelligence, weighing our life down, growing disproportionately mental health issues as we are now struggling to understand ourselves because we know so fucking much yeah do you know what i mean yeah, yeah and it is it is a burden to be this smart all of us 
We're all, all too smart. And some people more than others where they obsessively think and they can't turn their mind off. And they're, they're always like joining too many dots together and worrying about everything. Um, but with that burden comes an opportunity if you can understand that really your life is more simple. Really your life is about happiness is is your is when reality meets your expectations mm. so when you talk about total ownership extreme ownership ownership of all the outcomes in your life whether it's things that happen to you because someone dies or there's an event or there's a crash or you know your business goes down you know on, your business goes offline for two days you really didn't do anything about it but maybe you could have had a more resilient website i mean there's always something you could have done mm -hmm. excluding the weather and excluding fatal events but for the most part you can take ownership of how that event happened or how you respond how you it. responded mm. so when you go back to the equation of happiness <clears throat> is when reality meets your expectations mm -hmm. you have the opportunity to think about how do i change my reality or how do i change my expectations yes and that's extreme ownership I fucking change what's happening because I don't like the outcome that's happening as a result of my reality or my expectations are inappropriately set on what, what life should be mm. on, you know, I need X material things. I need to have these many friends I interact with every week to feel loved. I need to have the, you know, the, my relationship needs to look like this. We need to be having sex every single day. Otherwise mm. we're going backwards. Like we, you know, you can just start labeling what perfect life is and the reality is that isn't perfect life because if you had it all, you still would be unhappy. Yeah. Because life isn't one massive happiness thing. Like mm. it's moments of happiness. Yeah. It's moments of happiness. And in between those moments of happiness, reality isn't equal in expectations. Mm. But the more you can manage your mentality, and this is going back to Jay Shetty and his, his time as a monk, the more you can match reality to your expectations, the more happier you'll be. Yeah. Because you're you're no longer trying to get something you haven't got or worrying about something that's happened to you. But the reality is meeting expectations because you're choosing it to be. Mm. And that's taking extreme ownership of who you are and how you feel. And in changing the way you feel so you're always happy, I mean, fuck, right. If you could be happy all the time, I would regard that as a absolute fucking success. <laughs> Even if... Mm you didn't end up creating much wealth or much of anything. But if you w navigated life being like this rare, unique human being who could be happy all the time, mm -hmm. I would say, teach me that formula. Yeah. Not because I want to be lazy, not because I don't want to give any value to the world, but you clearly have navigated the complexity of the human mind where you can make reality equal expectations or expectations equal reality yeah explain it Thoughts? way better than i do that's that's basically what i was thinking but you just <laughs> explained it in <laughs> better words than i ever could <laughs> it's it's it, but, but but it's it, quite it's complex isn't it because as much as i understand it theoretically i ain't happy all the time i'm not yeah, it doesn't and, mean i'm sad all the time it's just i'm not happy all the time and i think that's real that is real. I think anyone who expects to be happy all the time is is just getting sold an Instagram yeah. 
line of perfection. It does not exist. I, I However, that's... if happiness happens once every two months for you, something's going wrong. Because clearly, your reality is so far away from your expectations, that it's just full of darkness. Well, and I that's actually, on you. And I think that's actually something one of the biggest cons that you see at the moment, in terms of like social media is that everyone seems to be selling happiness and that happiness is this constant feeling which is it's not it's it's moments as you say it's um, a highlight reel right? yeah but then but then what is it so we're after um great gratitude how grateful are you i think that's something that you want to take responsibility like you've just explained and then and then layering on top of that looking at okay well if i can't be happy all the time you can't be grateful all the time and i think that that's mm. that's the kind of foundation which other emotions spiral off like happiness but if you're grateful all the time no matter what's happened because you could be it's a beautiful you could be a beautiful mindset barely anything and be grateful yeah you might not be happy all the time because that's just an emotion but being grateful because that's the perspective that you've taken responsibility on and managed to craft over time so that you're now grateful for life. And gratefulness is no matter what is infectious, mm. not only within your life, but to others around you. Because if yeah. you're humble and sincere in the gratitude of things that people do around you, it makes others feel good as well. So not only does it make you feel good, but you're grateful about what you have. You're also grateful about people around you and mm. it makes them feel good about themselves. Yeah. It's a beautiful quality. It's a great point in which to end this discussion. Yeah. So hopefully, um, whilst this is probably a bit of a pep talk for you and I, really, that's what it is, right? You know, this podcast is about us exploring us and in turn, hopefully adds value to others. That's all we but can offer, I don't right? think I don't think this stuff is unique to you and me. I don't think this stuff no. is is um shit that only you and I maybe a handful of others are dealing with I think most people are working through this stuff some people much better than others mm -hmm. uh, some people have fully understood these embraced these these lessons are already developed and learned mm -hmm. and they're just working on you know strengthening their craft and for others we've said stuff that has hit them for the first time and hopefully one or two of the things we've said makes enough difference that you know you can you can just challenge your status quo. Yeah. Because that's what it's about. Being your best is about challenging the status quo, always wanting to improve, always wanting to be better, but not better than others, just better than yourself yesterday. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for listening to this one, guys. I hope you took some value from it. Of course, if you've got anything you want to add to this, whether it's some of your best mindset tips or guidance then i'd love to hear it personally you can get to me on the adaptation facebook page and that just leaves me to say guys that adaptation is all about providing you with the tools and expert knowledge to help you improve and optimize your strength health and mindset inside and out until next time guys i'll let you crack on and be your best take care thanks guys if you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation. <laughs>